Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Joining us today is uh, Dr. Helen Coleus of Precision Nutrition. Uh, she is their science advisor and uh, co-author of their Level 1 certification textbook. Uh, she is an exercise physiologist with a doctorate in molecular biology from York, right here in Toronto, and specializes in the area of muscle development and regeneration. She also has a master's degree in exercise physiology and biochemistry from the University of Waterloo, some place that uh, a place that Andrew, I know you're familiar, well I've, familiar with. I've spent a few years there, yeah. <laughs> and also has taught exercise physiology, uh, Dr. Coleus, not Andrew, um, at the <laughs> university and college level. And um, well, Helen, welcome to the show first, and then I'll I'll introduce the subject matter for today. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, the reason I, uh, I reached out to Helen originally and uh, shout out to Kate Solo, who is our mutual friend um, who connected us uh, over the topic that I've wanted to discuss on the show for quite some time, and that is intermittent fasting. And uh, uh, Helen, I think a, a reasonable place to start for the uninitiated is for you to define what intermittent fasting is and kind of uh, maybe start to dive into what it does and how it works. Yeah, so intermittent fasting is an umbrella term that covers a lot of things. So people talk about it like it's one thing, but it's actually a pretty big um, umbrella term. So intermittent fasting is basically periods of time where you're either not eating, so that's the intermittent part, or that you have a restricted caloric intake. So that's the other thing is that it's kind of a misnomer that fasting is always not eating at all. Hmm. You just have a restriction. So that's like the, 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 the big umbrella term, probably the most common around athletes is probably the 16-8 where you you don't eat for for 16 hours and then you eat for a, a an eight hour window which is called like um time restricted feeding where you have a restricted window okay and so that's probably the most common and it used to be called skipping breakfast <laughs> that's ultimately <laughs> what it used to be yeah. um and now it's it's yeah so those, and then the other one that's a little more um and then it ranges to like you're just not eating for a day or two which is like the five two is is probably the more the most common version of that. Mm -hmm. So either you're and then in between is that you're maybe eating a regular amount of you know calories one day and the next day you're eating twenty five to thirty percent of your calories. So you're alternating. That's, that's called alternate day fasting or restrictive feeding. So so yeah. So basically you have these different. And it's a huge range, right? It's a difference between not right. eating for like a whole day versus I just eat breakfast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I was like, and then you can even have like less aggressive versions where you only you don't eat for maybe fourteen hours and then you eat for ten. So okay. again, huge range. And you would argue that everybody intermittent fasts when they go to sleep yeah. and then they don't eat for a while and then they wake up. So I think, and that's really I think what intermittent fasting are we talking about? And and usually. And, and how does that translate from different organisms to another? So hmm. and we'll probably get to that a bit later. Yes. Yeah. When we talk about the research. So I think I very much qualify as one of the uninitiated that you mentioned early on, Michael. Um, so it's uh, for me, it's kind of interesting because I know growing up and I know that uh, dietary science has come a long way since then. But um, it was always a question of eat regularly, little meals. Every three hours, um, yeah. Yeah. So 
I guess, what has led to the science changing and, and what is the motivation for doing something like this? Yeah, well, it's interesting is that the, if you look at even like I think the research with well, should you eat breakfast or not is probably a really good example. So it was always this idea that if you didn't eat breakfast, then you ate more calories and it wasn't they weren't looking at, is it helping anything else? It was just like, well, do you gain weight or do you lose weight if you eat, eat breakfast? Mm-hmm. And so people were like, oh, if you, you know, if you stopped eating breakfast, then you ended up, you know, eating more. If you, and so what it turned out, it wasn't actually eating breakfast, not eating breakfast. It was the change. So, and this, and it's very likely that this is what happens as well, is that it's not actually what you're doing, but that you've changed your behavior and you're probably more mindful of what you're doing. Hmm. And, and uh, this is a story that I like to tell is so my dad basically inadvertently was doing intermittent fasting for probably like 30, 40 years where he would just never bothered eating breakfast because it was inconvenient. He'd have a coffee, he'd go to work and then he would eat like after lunch sometimes. So it was about maybe 16, 17 hours. And it was more impressive because he owned a restaurant. So he just <laughs> worked at the restaurant and he just went eat. And meanwhile, and then, um, and she, you know, he's, you know, now he's 78 like no health concerns, no, you're like, so intermittent fasting must be it, right? Meanwhile, my mom like was very much like you have to eat every three hours. She had like like nuts and snacks because God forbid she became remotely hypoglycemic and she's perfectly healthy and in her 70s as well. So I think that the science didn't, like I think we just started looking in different places and saying, well, what advantages and disadvantages do these different things have? So I, I think mm-hmm. what's happened is we've kind of uncovered this new-ish thing and it's been kind of more fleshed out and people are now like, oh, this new cool thing. And it, I think it's it's not necessarily better. I don't think either ha- is the answer. So what are the claims being made? So why would anyone – so you know, the reason that I am curious about it is because uh, – I'll tell you my very quick story is that I've struggled to kind of hit my ideal you know, race weight and now it seems to be going in the opposite direction. I've just hit 40 and it's it's getting harder and harder. And you have kids. I, yeah. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, joke with like yeah, – I just sell the kids. Basically, I eat all, all their food <laughs> when they don't eat it because I'm hungry yeah, and I'm doing exactly. dishes. And so you know, what, my, my, my problems aside, I'm, I've been trying to find a very easy – uh, system that doesn't involve a lot of thought or any kind of calorie counting or any kind of like mental overhead, which I have zero capacity for. You know, if somebody tells me, okay, you can eat now and then now you have to stop eating or you can't eat now and now you can start eating, that is a very simple, simple thing for me to follow. So uh, for me, it was an attractive, simple way to try and lose some weight. Now, I haven't been very successful, but also because I've been sucking at doing it. But uh, um, so I, I no, no blame. No, but, but, but- but that, that's probably one of the like the most well supported for humans, right? Where you basically you inadvertently create a caloric deficit mm-hmm. because you just have less time to eat. So it's not it's a kind of it's a method to eat less. So it's kind of like it's a it's a portion control, but in using time rather than like a spatial like portion control. <laughs> or so willpower. yeah, so like yeah, or willpower. Where it's like, well, it is willpower because you're like I can't eat before X or after this, right? right. So you're 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 not gonna so you so and that's where it gets really tricky just to tease apart caloric restriction from intermittent fasting so is intermittent fasting just reducing the amount of calories you're taking in and all what we're seeing is actually the, the effect of of reduced calories which has been like a lot of the stuff that that other stuff that's associated with intermittent fasting is actually probably coming from caloric restriction okay and so things like, you know, like, you know, what was it, um, like infl- reduced inflammation, you know, autophagy, and we'll go into this, it's a, it's a very specific cell um, function, which somehow has become 
the theme for intermittent fasting. And then, um, which is, and the idea also it improves like um, uh, glucose uh, control, but that seems to be more in males than in females. It seems to be, there seems to be differences in that. Um, but those are like really the, the anti-inflammation properties of it. Uh, and this, yeah, so autophagy basically leading to improved like cognitive function and all these other hmm, things. Interesting. Which is, uh, again, you know, what, what the underlying cause of that. And I'm like, I would argue it's probably more calorie restriction. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, a consequence that, that I hadn't considered. But if we talk about just, just straight up, uh, you know, body composition kind of ideas about, uh, you know, fat loss, uh, what's the evidence that it actually works? I mean, you started talking about whether or not the evidence is that it's, that it's the fasting or just raw calorie restriction. It works as a method. Like as well as any other method, like I think like three to eight percent, like loss of weight loss, like in in the studies that done in humans. So, you know, like people are successful doing it, mm-hmm. but is it, is it more successful than other caloric restrictions? I'm like, I haven't seen anything that I don't think I've even seen anything that's compared that to say, okay, here's all the different diets, mm-hmm. and see what works with intermittent fasting. So it does it does work as far as a method for weight loss, um, but not independent of a caloric restriction. Right. Okay. That's, that's a, I think that's a, that's a pretty straightforward answer. And that's, that was sort of my, my hunch is that it's just, uh, like I said, for me, it's a convenient way to restrict my calories because, you know, and I, and I, and I think that's probably the best perspective to have. Yeah going into it yeah again in, in my in my personal in my personal experience uh when i'm a morning person when i wake up i'm totally okay and uh i used to always eat breakfast i, I was one of those people uh, but for me my energy levels are quite high in the morning and my motivation and mood are usually pretty good and so i can i'm totally fine functioning without without eating breakfast but it's like late at night when i'm tired that's when i struggle with any kind of you know impulse control so if yeah. i'm you know quote unquote allowed to eat in the evening that's much easier for me to 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 stick to versus you know not eating in the mornings yeah and that's and i think that's the other component of it is really kind of being aware of of what works for Mm -hmm. you and i think that aspect of like well you know is a 24-hour fast going to be a good idea well well, everything's going to fall off the rails after like eight (laughs) because you're like i'm hungry right at night so maybe that's not a good idea right so that and that's actually probably one of the bigger factors of being of it working as far as caloric restrictions is that some people will binge where they'll, the restriction, they don't end up with a caloric restriction because when they're allowed to eat, they compensate and then they, they're eating as many calories, if not more. Right. So it's, you know, it's possible. Like I think it make, you know, if you really want to try, like you can, you can gain weight. And that's the other thing too, is some people try to gain weight with intermittent fasting. Huh. Okay. I haven't seen that as, as particularly successful because I think it would be, you know, again, you have less time to, calories so you know have less time to eat more calories mm. than versus right so, so the the uh, kind of the the audience for the show is primarily um you know uh endurance athletes um probably i imagine mostly amateur but i know we have some fairly high performance folks that do listen to the show and uh and talk to us from time to time so for for that cohort of endurance athletes it's fairly broad given that some people 
you know, might only do four or five hours of training a day. And some people may do 30 yeah. hours of training. Oh, excuse only. me, not a day. I meant <laughs> a, a day. week. I meant a week. <laughs> a day. No. no, no, no. A week, a week. <laughs> As you can tell, it's past my bedtime. And uh, <laughs> uh, a week. But all, all the way up to like 30, 35 in peak season for, you know, professional triathletes. Um, what are the implications for uh, for that population without without cutting it up in by by gender at this point? Um, I think it would just be like really getting in enough calories where if you're, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, doing 30 hours a week, like, and you're on the bike, I'm assuming there's not so many, you, I guess you get a certain amount of calories in, but you're not having a steak dinner, right? You're not having a big <laughs> meal in the bike, right? So you're limited, you are taking, you're trying to maintain, yep. you know, you're not trying to lose it, but it's really, yeah, like just trying to get in that many calories. And I think, especially if you're younger, where I think, you know, it's funny because a paper came out, who was it? Oh, was it Ponser? I can't remember his last name. Uh, that basically showed that you really, your metabolic rate doesn't decrease until you hit about 60. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, and what I think they a were, lot of people have been using that as an excuse for. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's my metabolism. But what ends up happening is that they, they, they did some modeling and they think it's really a, just a decrease in physical activity as you get like mm. as you get older until you hit 60 so i think when you're younger you're just doing a lot more things it becomes harder to meet the caloric demand not because your metabolism is faster necessarily but because you're just doing more things and you have more muscle mass so this is this is corrected for muscle mass so that's ah, one thing okay that's why my kids are yeah. so skinny because they're like they don't they don't know how to sit down you know they're just they're well like yeah if you ever like around. that's the thing right like yeah, like the you look at kids, you know, like the amount of energy that they have. It's wild. <laughs> like, you know, as soon as you want to go to sleep, that's when, you know, your metabolism slows down, quote unquote metabolism yeah. slows down. It's just like you're just doing less. Huh. It, that's a that's a really interesting point. So then, um, uh, okay, so uh, yeah, make sure that you get enough calories in. I think that's that's really that's really terrific advice. Um, but let's say let's narrow down the focus a little bit, and let's say you're somebody like me who wants to, you know, lose a little bit of body fat, and um, you know, in preparation maybe for a big race season, which is not happening next year. But uh, let's say let let's pretend that it, that it was, and. Uh, and uh, so is intermittent fasting something that I would do kind of as an acute intervention and do it for well, a month, two months, or is this something that I would want to be doing for, you know, the next 12 months, like, including my big build and race season? Um, well, it would depend, I think, on what aggr- how aggressive the type, how, like how long you were fasting. So if you're doing like, like, you know, 16 or 14 hours of fasting and then eating, having an eight to 10 hour window, then that's not too aggressive. And then you probably could kind of maintain it. Like my dad, like he did it for like 30 years. Um, So it's possible, but it also, I think the other component is how many other stressors are in your life. Because Mm. at the end of the day, if you wake up in the morning and you want to eat, but you're restricting yourself, then that's going to be another stressor. And so I think it's really, it's kind of like, you know, with with like any sport, like with cycling too, you know, you have a certain amount of recovery Mm -hmm. that you kind of need. And if, and your and intermittent fasting can be in another stressor, and I think it depends on the person. It depends on their lifestyle. It depends on what else is going on in their life. Whether it kind of pushes, like it's just one more stressor, so then recovery is taking a bit longer, and it's affecting your performance and affecting your training rides. So you may not necessarily see it in a day to day kind of a thing, or you know, if you have kids, then that's another stressor. And maybe you didn't sleep or maybe there's a, you know, so it's really, you have to look at it as a, an additional stress in the same way that exercise is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's an additional stress just the way exercise is an additional stress. And so you have to kind of, you know, it could be that you take a break, see if you feel, you feel way better, you're not intermittent fasting. 
every once in a while. Yeah. Uh, and if you're doing the least, like, and depending how aggressive, it's not particularly aggressive, and you can kind of do it as like you know, and you kind of pay attention to your performance. It's kind of like you know, with all with if you're. If you're training for a specific thing and you're monitoring your performance and your performance is not going in the direction you want it to go, then you kind of have to reevaluate what you're doing. And maybe is it maybe intermittent fasting? Is it working for you at all? Or maybe it did work for a while and now it ha- it stopped. And why? Hard to say. Um, if you're doing more aggressive versions, I don't think I would do it for very long. Like if you're doing like like two days, like. Know, two days a week where you're not eating at all which is like a most aggressive version i wouldn't do that uh, for any length of time and i think too is if your goal is to lose weight once you hit that weight stop you know then then i'd be like well you you know yeah basically stop and then look at performance like i don't i'm like you know because again uh, it, you'd be hard pressed i think if you're if you're losing weight with a with an instrument with intermittent fasting then maybe not a good idea to continue because uh, at some point it's going to be diminishing returns. Sure. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a lot of it just kind of common, like, I mean, you want to say common sense, but it's, what's great is if you're an athlete and you, you know, your times and you know, your performance, and you know, your training, then you could use that as a benchmarker. Like, is this working or not? Like, it's not like, am I, am I getting better? Or am I getting worse? Makes sense. And you kind of look at all the, all the things and, and you're like, well, I tried this. I'm not getting any better. Maybe I should try something different. Maybe like stop, stop intermittent fasting or, or do an even less aggressive form. And that would have been my big question actually, is how this would impact your training performance. So if you're going out trying to do a really hard session and essentially like to some extent, I, I guess, thermodynamically speaking, because that's the way I like to think, uh, you're under fueling, um, yeah. you're, you're burning more energy than you're putting in. So you are entering a workout in essentially an underfueled state. Uh, will that start to impact the quality of your workout? Um, and can you achieve a weight loss at the same time as a performance increase goal? Probably could do, uh, it's hard to say. So the idea is that you do, let's say you do a 16 hour fast, and then you decide that you're going to do your cycling in the morning. You can do your training ride in the right before you break the, the break the mm-hmm. fast. Well, this is what becomes a really fascinating kind of debate because people are like, well, I I do intermittent fasting and I don't and I do my work I do my workout fasted, but I take these essential amino acids and all this other stuff before I work out. I'm like, but that's not that's not fasted. So so if you're so if you're pre-fueling with a bunch of amino acids, then I'm gonna be like, eh, maybe probably not so bad. But then I'm like, but you're not fasted, so. <laughs> which is which leads to a really interesting argument but anyway and then but if you're truly fasted i i think it, i i don't see how it wouldn't affect your recovery more than your actual performance because i think you could probably do okay with performance but because you're not like you haven't eaten like any amino acids right and then so as much as the anabolic window has been a big thing it's really the idea that you really want to have a, like a certain amount of amino acids in your bloodstream and so if you're fasted you're going to have lower levels so that could help could it be problematic I think it depends how long you're riding it probably depends on like some people love it i think they're people say that they have really great clarity and mental focus and that could improve your performance i think if you look at it purely from an exercise physiology standpoint and muscle like standpoint like i don't see how this would be useful yeah. or the other possibilities let's say you're somebody who who can't eat breakfast and then work out right after. Like there's some people who just like, I need to eat and then wait two hours and then I'm going to, but that's not feasible because you have work so, and you don't want to get up at four. 
So, you know, so then it becomes an issue of like logistics where, okay, it's better for me to fast and do my training ride, which isn't going to be the best. And maybe I do take, you know, uh, some supplements beforehand or do I wake up at four and eat so that I can have my ride at five or six? Yeah. My two cents on this, and this is based on talking to folks like, uh, you know, fairly high level coaches in the sport is that you can, depending on where you're, so fasted workouts are a big topic of conversation in endurance sports period, whether or not you're doing intermittent fasting or not, but whether, uh, whether or not you want to, you know, the idea is you're trying to, you know, improve fat metabolism, but then there's Man. there's drawbacks of doing it too much but i think the Man. general consensus is andrew that if you are going to do something like that uh if you're going to you know ride or run or swim fasted that you want the intensity of that workout to be quite low swimming is different because you never really get into a super high metabolic state unless you're very 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 strong swimmer to begin with you're limited by other Man. factors but uh running and riding generally not a good idea to do quality fasted Right, because you, chances are you're just not going to hit the the kind of performance that you you know you would be looking for in order to get the benefit out of the session uh, to you know improve fitness uh, to move that marker if you are if you're fasted and you know it's usually like you know muscle glycogen and depending how fasted you are yeah. like how you know if you did some of the protocols are you would do uh, let's say a, a high intensity workout in the evening and then not eat anything after the workout and then sleep and then wake up and then do a low intensity workout in the morning because if you try to do a high intensity workout in the morning i can almost guarantee it's going to be terrible yeah so the so the idea then becomes it's almost like a metabolic flexibility yeah it's different of, training it's it, not yeah. Rather, yeah yeah it's yeah not, it's, it's not it's not like you're, yeah you're not trying to actually improve performance you're trying to improve metabolic flexibility mm-hmm. and for long course triathlon that's a that's that, that that can be a game changer right like it depends on metabolically where you're how efficient you are yeah that becomes an interesting question about even the idea of endurance because endurance basically anybody you know it's like well this is longer than 10k right for runners or like anything that's longer than a half an hour an hour it's like eh, it's endurance i'm like eh, there's like a huge range between that and like a few hours like yeah so you know once you start getting to the few hour range then i think oddly you're kind of, yeah like it's kind of to your point i guess oddly you're you're kind of wanting to have your body know what fasted's like while you're working mm-hmm. out while you're training because you're kind of going to end up there. Yeah. It depends on your output, but yeah, it definitely, definitely in, in really long events, like anything, you know, kind of more than I would say more than four or five hours, uh, then you, then it's, then it's really a balance of you're, you're trying to maximize a lot of things. You're trying to train your body to, you know, intake and absorb as much carbohydrate as humanly possible. Yeah. And while, while producing, while, while burning, mostly that's right, while, while burning as little <laughs> carbohydrate as possible. So it does become a quite, and then, and then things change over time, like your ability to absorb it, it changes over time in that workout. So it's, but anyway, I think we're getting a little bit off topic. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure. I'm sure the listeners would be kind of yeah, yeah. No, it's it's always it's always a fun uh, a fun conversation to have. Um, So you hinted at, and I want to dig into this: the difference between males and females in the kind of the the application, and specifically the kind of the maybe the contraindication of intermittent fasting between the 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 sexes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's interesting. So what ended what ended up happening is originally like almost all the research was done in men. Actually, almost all the research was done in male animals. Actually, and, and even now, most of the research is still being done in male uh, mice. Hmm. And so, and then, so then it, it became, I don't know, dude, how long has it been? Five, 10 years where it became a, a main, more mainstream where people started doing it, and mostly for weight loss. And I think it kind of initially came 
in through more bodybuilding, but I could be wrong. And so everybody wants to lose weight and this is an easy way. And so everybody started doing it. And then women started having issues with amenorrhea where they would lose their, their menstrual cycle. And I was like, well, you're, you know, and then it was like, ah, well, who knows? Like nobody really could figure out or even, or even believed it was a real thing. It was like, well, you're doing it wrong. Which is usually, you know, if you're, if you do something that's new and it, you know, it's not working for you while well, you're doing it wrong, it's usually right. So what it, what it was so, what was it? I think it was 2010. So it must've been, yeah. So it must've came out in 2005 and then 2010, 2015, I have to find the article. What happened was they, this was done in mice, this research. And so what they found was that female rats, when they were doing intermittent fasting, and it was alternative, basically every second day they would eat. Okay. So the female rats would lose, um, their ovaries would be smaller, they would lose their, their cycle. And the guys seemed to be, or the male rats seemed to be relatively okay over this 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 experiment. And then I started looking, well, that's, that's interesting and that's kind of weird. And so what they found was there was actually a part of the hypothalamus that detects calories, and initiates hunger and that um and there's actually a specific type of neuron in that area called kispeptin um neuron and it has a bunch of estrogen receptors and women have more of these neurons and it's responsive to estrogen and it's also responsive to calories okay and so then it it, then it triggers the um the hypogonadal axis in 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 both men and women but with women they're more sensitive to caloric changes and what it seems and this is right now seems it's mostly mechanistic. They haven't been able to, sh- to, sh- to show it clinically in women for obvious reasons, because then it involved like starving, starving brain, humans, <laughs> like starving, well, starving humans. And then like, I, like you'd have to like, you'd have to do a brain best. Like I couldn't, you, I don't know how you, because at this point, MRI is not going to be sensitive enough. So they know that, that it's true in, in human women that they have more of these receptors and they have these and more of these, these neurons, but they don't know clinically if this is how it works. But in, in mice, what ends up happening is, when there's a decrease in calories, then this, this neuron inhibits the pathway that triggers the, the menstrual cycle for, for, the, for the mice. And this idea is what hap- seems to happen with, with women as well, because it, and there hasn't been much research, research in lean or athletic women, because most of the research done in intermittent, intermittent fasting in humans is with people who are overweight or obese, because it's, it's really at this point a mechanism to try to lose uh, body fat or fat in general, uh, I mean, uh, muscle or mass in general. But so with the women, anyway, what seems to happen is that a lot of women lose their periods when they go into intermittent fasting before you would think it would be a problem, meaning that, you know, it's not uncommon with um, the female triad, which is now called red S, where women who, you know, and it, and it could be tied together where it's not necessarily the, the intermittent fasting, but the caloric restriction that's now triggering basically amenorrhea. Mm-hmm. So you, this, and what's funny is somehow people, women were like, no, 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 it's fine. It's like, but no, like some women are having this issue and it, and it's, and it, women are, seem to be more sensitive to this because these kispeptin neurons. But, uh, I know that other, I know other men who've, who've gone through intermittent fasting for a long period of time where they eventually ended up having issues with lower testosterone hmm. and then they just reverted back to, to eating normally and it was fine. So I think that generally, and it makes sense, right? If you look at it from an evolutionary standpoint is if you're restricting your calories, and it's perceived as this, we don't have enough food. We shouldn't have children. Now is not the time. <laughs> it's so funny because I was just about to ask that exact question. So you you stole it from me. Well, it's funny because it's one of the most fascinating things that I ran across is that human 
um, females are one of the only like mammals who cannot control whether they get pregnant or whether they can pause or stop pregnancy. Oh. They don't have control. And so it, it's because actually the fetus has control of the placenta. And once, once the fetus is a, a implanted, like the mom has like no hmm. control. But all other animals like can can like basically stop from getting themselves pregnant or they can stop pregnancy from progressing or they can actually terminate pregnancy, which is a really fascinating huh. thing. So human females are particularly susceptible to if they're pregnant and then they're in starvation to con- uh, conditions to like to severe consequences. Of course. So it makes sense that that if your body's detecting uh not, not enough calories, then it's like, maybe we should, maybe we're shutting down the factory as it were. Right. Uh, and so, and it does seem that, um, as like for, for women, as they get older, it's more likely to trigger amenorrhea or, or, or even, um, like a longer, like almost like a premature menopause. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's like, again, like if you're paying attention, like let's say you're doing this as a female athlete and you're like, my performance is suffering. I'm losing my hair. I'm, I'm feeling like crap. You know, I think performance and sleep, you can't sleep all these things that like, if it, this was happening, you'd stop whatever you were doing. Right. It's just because it's supposed to work. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, it's like, you know, so, and then like, and, and also I think as you get older, you have more responsibilities, you have more stress, you have kids, you have other things that are also adding to, to like the likelihood of this triggering a, like amenorrhea or a loss. And again, I, I don't think that it's unique to women. I think that women are just more sensitive to it. So it happens earlier. And, it, and again, it's like, thing, and I think with endurance, um, female athletes, I think they're, it's something that, and I, I don't know if it's better in cycling, but I know in running it's been like horrible as far as trying to, they're not actually looking at performance. It's just looking, we've decided that this arbitrary weight is what you should be at. And you're going to be doing better at, that weight but we're not actually paying attention to see if it's actually true yeah so yeah so i think female athletes and i think intermittent fasting is kind of more of the same is that you you have just a caloric deficit that is going to affect female athletes sooner than male athletes and it's and, it, and, and again it kind of comes down to to like again evolution where it's more important for females to like have enough calories and and so being sensitive to to caloric restriction so and, and, you know, lean body mass and all that are certainly about it. Like lower body fat is going to play into that and also how much like your caloric deficit is in any given day. So I generally, if you're going to do it as a female, you know, be start and arguably anybody start in the least aggressive version mm-hmm. and then pay attention to see if, if it's actually detrimental. And, and again, if you're an athlete, you, you know, your performance is really probably one of the better indicators. And, you know, you know how your body feels. I feel terrible. Yeah, and how well you sleep too. You oh, mentioned yeah, you mentioned is- that earlier. I find that sleep is any kind of sleep disruption is like a red flag for me as a coach that something might be up. Yeah, and and again, and just being like more objective. So, is there a kind of adaptation period that's required to get used to this? Because you did mention before, um, like if it feels like this should work and it does work for some people, or your father who was able to skip breakfast. I don't know if there's like if there's any like I know that with ketogenic diet, it was like well you need adaption, but uh, intermittent fasting, I don't like it's more psychological. I think adaptation than than physical, where I think you're like, but I want to eat now, <laughs> like, you know, yeah. right? And I think you might, and that I think. And maybe easing into it, I think psychologically, and also 
where your body just kind of gets used to. Because I don't know if you've had this where you're like, you're working at a job and you eat it exactly like this specific time, like one o'clock and then whatever, something happens and it's like one thirty rolls around. You're like, I'm starving. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so I think if you, you have, if you have a really rigid eating schedule and then you, I think you probably want to like maybe just drift like, and until they merge where you're just kind of maybe moving your, your breakfast, maybe closer and closer to lunch hmm. to start. Uh, but there's no physiological reason like to say, Oh, well you should, you know, you need two weeks to adapt to this. And then the, the reason I ask is that I personally get fairly lightheaded if I miss a snack, for example, or have a late lunch, but, uh, on a weekend I can be cleaning the house or working outside and I miss two meals without noticing it. So it's, yes. it's just a very odd way of, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm the same. I used to be the same way where I was like, I, if I didn't eat, then they a very like, yeah, my mom liked to with her, not with her almonds all the time. <laughs> it's like, I think you'll be fine. Uh, and I get easing into it and, and it depends how much, you know, you're stressing your body at that, at that, that time. I wouldn't like, you know, if you have tens of things, you have a deadline at work, you have like a newborn, you know, it's like intermittent fasting, great idea. <laughs> Probably not. Right. Yep. No, that makes sense. When we started talking about this, um, Helen, you mentioned a couple of other potential benefits uh, to intermittent fasting. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Uh, you know, ov- obviously over and above uh, potential weight loss. Yeah, the the health benefits. So the, there's a lot of, like, well, and this is actually originated from fasting data where they just, not intermittent fasting, but just fasting. So they found like with, like it was flatworms and with different like lower life forms that if they fasted them, they lived longer. Hmm. And so they're like, oh, okay, well, you know, what's the, they tried it with, with mice and it seems to be, they seem to live a bit longer. And it's like, but why? And again, is it caloric restriction? Because a caloric restriction isn't, isn't a known is something known to actually improve lifespan. So if you're, I can't remember what exactly, how many kilocalories last a day you need to eat to actually improve lifespan. Like, and again, this is like this kind of general and mostly done in animals because clearly people, should I keep track of that? But I like the time is hard. <laughs> and then they could just yeah, lie to you. If it's self-reported, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and so so that, so this, this longevity thing, so then people are like, well, how is this longevity possibly working? And there's been extrapolation now into humans. And also um, part of it is um, there seems to be a reduced risk of cancer associated with, with fasting and, 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 uh, and possibly with intermittent fasting. But most of this data is around, um, around fasting. And then um, so both of them seem to work uh, uh, through this mechanism, the cellular mechanism called aut- autophagy. Okay. And, so, and I find it fascinating because people – so autophagy is basically your, your, your cell wants to clean up. You know, like you have a lot of extra, like, you know, it's like, you know, you have stuff in your house and you, you haven't got around to getting rid of all this crap. You're like, I have this, this chair's broken, whatever, right? So, so with autophagy is basically, okay, well, the, you know, this protein is around, it's like not functioning properly. We need to get rid of it. And so, and that's called general autophagy that happens with starvation. Hmm. So if you're not eating and you're, it makes sense because your body's like, okay, we need to recycle this. So it's like, so basically it takes this protein and it breaks it down because it's like not functioning to be used as, as, as food because you don't have any, any, you know, amino acids or, or, or uh, glucose around. So it's like, well, we need to, we need to, we need to recycle all the stuff we have around. And I, and I, and I think that, you know, there is data that supports this idea. I think that it's one of those things that like it's, like everybody thinks like, well, this works. Autophagy works fantastic. Looks what it does. And it shows an improvement in, in cell function and, 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 and general function, let's say cognition. But I'm like, but at some point this is a problem. 
no, <laughs> like, right, where you just don't, there's not enough around, where, like, we don't have any extra stuff mm-hmm. to use for fuel. Now we're using good stuff for fuel. Well, like, this, so, you know, like, especially if you're an athlete, you're like, well, you want to maintain your muscle mass. For sure, yeah. Right? Or like, well, depending again, but, but for the most part, you work pretty hard to get this muscle mass to get this adaptation, so are we going to start, you know, but starvation ultimately starting to, to utilize the tissues that we, we worked hard for. So it's ultimately balanced. And on the other side, which I find really interesting is, so if you look at it, the, the way the cell signals to tell it to do, to basically start autophagy is like, it actually inhibits protein synthesis and muscle growth. Hmm. So, you know, so remember, you probably remember like branching amino acids years like a while ago and, and leucine were really important to trigger protein synthesis and, and, you know, it turns out it's mostly, it's more amino, sorry, essential amino acids that are, that are, it's kind of, it's not just, um, leucine for optimal protein synthesis, but leucine triggers this, this pathway that inhibits autophagy. So they basically are two sides of this. So if you're having one, you can't have the other. Mm. So do you, do I think that you can't, so it's really the balance of the two, which again, it's kind of like anything you do in life. Like you can basically say, well, you know what, if, if, if training for, for, you know, three hours a day is good, then we should do nine, <laughs> you know, like, right. Like there's a point where it's diminishing returns. So I think that really like it comes down to, yes, you don't want to have a caloric excess and then, and then also starvation around cancer. Cancer is a, is a tissue in your body. So if you're starving your yourself, then you're starving cancer, but you're also starving other tissues. So, you know, so that again, it, you usually I, I've realized through pretty much all like like molecular biology is that if there's something that's happening, you're something else isn't happening. Like there's always kind the of this. There's the, yeah, the trade off because it's home, like homeostasis. There's your, what you're trying, your body's trying to do, and and it's like this ebb and flow. So if you're constantly trying to put your body in in one state, autophagy, then there's you're gonna lose something and maybe you're okay with that maybe you want to live till you're like 115 years old and you don't have much muscle mass and maybe your quality of life isn't great hmm. you know maybe right so maybe you're okay with being amenorrheic right because you could live you think you could live longer you know at this point i don't the data is like the clinical research isn't, isn't there and it's not going to be there like you can't do that research to find out if it's actually that helpful for lifespan in humans intermittent fasting or fasting you just kind of hopefully you run across a group of people. But I do think that, you know, like caloric restriction has been pretty well supported. That, that long-term caloric restriction is it helps with lifespan and with cognition and with all, all this other stuff. That's super interesting. I remember uh, um, this is like, you know, I heard it on a podcast <laughs> uh, and I, I don't remember any of the details, so I probably shouldn't even bring this up. But it was something, I think it was a, it was almost like a natural experiment where, there were uh, there was uh, really good, uh, really good um, population data from somewhere in Scandinavia, some one of the Nordic countries. What was it? The, where was it the Netherlands? Maybe I don't. I think it was further north, but but it could have been the Netherlands. And there was some like massive famine, and this was I don't know early twentieth century, maybe this was a long time ago, but not not crazy long ago. And uh, they they knew that this famine hit, and they they had very good uh, population data. Like they were, it was basically like birth births and births and deaths. And they noticed that the children of the people who suffered through the famine had atypically long lifespans. And they were wondering if it was if it was being expressed in the in the in the genes of uh, of their parents. Yeah, yeah, if it was epigenetic, epigenetic, yeah, epigenetic, epigenetic yeah. effect. Yeah, 
which is which is really cool. I mean, it was just like a one like n equals one sort of natural experiment, but that was uh, that was a pretty cool study. You know, I wonder if it was because there was the Dutch famine, which maybe actually was, was, was due to the, well, it was it was actually because of the, the Second World War. What happened was. Um, like Holland was under severe like caloric restrictions by the German occupation. And so what happened was, yeah, they kind of had this like at 500, like kilocalories, like so oh. low, like it wasn't like, you know, like, five, like, and that's all you got for months at a time. Uh, and um, yeah. So then they compared the children pre and post world war two that from the same parents to see how hmm. they, they responded and, that was probably the, one of the first epigenetic studies where they realized that because, you know, for the longest time, it was like your parent, like, you, you know, the idea that what you did as a parent wouldn't have any effect on your child outside of the genetics that you yeah. had. So the idea that you could starve and that would have some sort of impact on the genes you passed on to your children was like unheard of. And so, um, yeah, that was, and I don't like the one I, the research I saw about that was actually looking at type two diabetes, and that there was actually an increased rate of type two diabetes in this group. So, oh, of the people, the people who were starved. To see. Oh, okay, yeah. whose parents starved rather? The, well, the children, the, the children, yeah, the parents, yeah. And so, and then what's really mind bending is that they've actually shown that grandparents have an impact. The epigenetic goes back down, and and that the problem is that they don't know if it's direct or not because you existed in your grand, maternal grandmother as an egg because your mom was like all the eggs were produced were, were actually made before your before she was born mm -hmm. in your grandmother maternal grandmother so your maternal grandmother has a direct impact on your genetics like your epigenetics mm -hmm. in what was going on at the time when she was pregnant with your mom which is really makes things very difficult to sort out whether this is passed on or whether it was a direct oh, cool. i hadn't thought of that before but that's a really neat implication yeah because then you'll have this yeah this weird connection with your maternal grandmother that you don't have with anybody else <laughs> that's awesome that you're related yeah, to. And i'm hoping i'm thinking like oh maybe i, I was hoping oh she wasn't but it was, it's too bad that she wasn't like uh you know an all-star endurance athlete because then all of the mito exactly. i would have inherited <laughs> from her would have been would have been extra, you need extra like a, what do you call it you need to you didn't go track down all these really active women and make sure they have like grandbabies. Yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> while they're active, or like, well, you know, they have kids and grandmothers. Yeah. So, but yeah, so it's, it's, um, again, a lot of it. And then what I find really fascinating is a lot of this stuff around intermittent fasting or even fasting is that people don't do the most basic stuff. <laughs> Everyone goes to 11. <laughs> Yeah, everybody goes to 11, so it's like, uh, and, and I know there's some debate now whether or not you should eat vegetables, but we're still pretty confident that eating vegetables, <laughs> you know what I mean, and not eating in excess and, you know, and, you know, eating, you know, lean proteins and, and, you know, eating healthy fats, like the kind of the basics of, you know, have it and don't eat in excess. And, and I think as performance, you know, and this is what's interesting is I think that there is a bit of a, a, a separation between performance and health, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of get to a point where you're doing stuff that's, and, and the performance stuff is pretty well fleshed out as far as, and there's fine tuning for the individual. So it's like, here's the basic protocol that we recommend for, you know, how often you should take in carbs, how much carbs, when you should take the carbs. And then after that, you kind of have to play around with it to figure out what works for you and what helps you with improving mm -hmm. performance. So if you're doing all that, and like you said, like for you, it's like, hey, this is just a, a way to restrict my calories for weight loss. Then, and I'm, you know, doing pretty good with the vegetables and doing pretty good with things, but I just need, I just need to eat less. 
and this is a way of doing it, then ask, like, why not? Like, so I think not looking at it as like a biochemical, biological, like magic, it's more of just, a, you know, it's just a tool that if it works yeah. for you, then fantastic. But I think being objective of whether or not it works for you is where I think, especially if you're in a group where everybody's doing it or you keep on going on to like places where they're like, Oh, if you just do this or this or this, then it, this is going to, what's going to happen to you. And you're like, well, I really want this to work. And, I, and I'm sure this happens to with training programs totally. where you like see a training yeah. program. You're like, I want to try it. And you try it and you're like, this is not working for me, but God damn it. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to stick with it. I just need to like, you know, I just need to push through. Right. And then, and I think with, with athletes, I think that psychologically you have this capability of kind of going to a place that's mm-hmm. not fun. Yeah. There's that, that mentality that's beaten into people sometimes that just like that, the whole no pain, no gain nonsense, which is horrible. And, you know, I rail against it every chance I get, including right now, listeners don't like it. Don't do it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you. There's no, there are no, there are no, you know, magic pills, right. Whether it's, whether it's a training intervention or a, or a nutritional one or, or a piece of equipment, you know, we, we talk a lot, Andrew and I and our guests talk a lot about, you know, stuff that, that purports to measure something that'll change the way you train or change the way you you ride your bike and it's like nah it's still it's still the same it's just surprisingly the the world records have not dropped no. substantially with all the uh the technology so there's been a bit but it's been very much a gradual yeah. progression yeah. i do feel it's a bit like i don't know if you ever did this when you're a kid at school where you get like new pens or new whatever to study <laughs> Where it was like, the pen's not going to help you study, but you put you in this weird place where you're like, okay, now I'm ready. So I, I do feel like whether it's instrument fasting or a new, a new like measurement, I think it, it's, it just changes your psychology where like, Hey, this novelty mm-hmm. kind of makes things new and, and psychologically makes it a little easier, but I like it in itself doesn't, isn't doing anything. It's just a more of a motivational tool. Than I think it's is. called the, fre- oh, I don't know. The, I've heard it, I've heard it referred to as the fresh start effect. So it could even be just like, you know, your the Monday of the week or the new year, you know, the new year's resolution is the classic yeah, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, starting a new program, again, whether it's nutritional or, or training can have that positive effect. And, and usually people stick to it for a little while. And even if you, you know, stick to it for two months, two months is better than zero months in, in terms of improvement. Uh, so it, it could have, you know, not a certainly not a magical improvement, but a non-trivial one. So I, I do wonder when we're discussing this, um, there's a lot of talk about changing up a training regimen so that you're not, uh, you don't have like a, a stale training stimulus. You're trying to change everything. Hmm. I wonder how much of it is actually just training compliance, where if you've got this yeah. fresh start effect that's uh, keeping people training harder or training more effectively yeah. um, just because you're changing it up. But maybe that's a part of it too. Yeah, I would be surprised. That would be interesting to see, you know, depending on the type of athlete and what level they're at. Because you'd assume, again, maybe elite athletes, I give them too much credit where they're just like, whatever, just give it to me and I'll just do it. But I do think like, you know, especially for me, I think like there's just the point where you're like, why am I doing this? I'm like, yeah, I want to, I want to be healthier and I want to be able to perform, but I'm like, I want to have some fun too. I want like, and that's probably why most people got into the sport that they do all the Mm -hmm. time and they, 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 they compete in is because they liked it at some point. Yeah. So I do think that it's like, oh, this is new. So it's like, it's fun. So yeah, like, you, can, you know, you get a new bike and you, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to train right. more, no, right? It's, it's, like, well, it's, it's a thing for sure. You want to make it worthwhile. For sure. 
Um, Helen, thank you so much for, for shedding light on this, uh, on this topic that I was personally very, very interested in learning more about. And I'm, I'm confident that our listeners, uh, got a lot out of it. And, uh, I'm also, you know, I also have the satisfaction that you, you know, that we kind of landed on the same, you've confirmed my biases about the lack of magic (laughs) pills, which I, which I really enjoy. Everyone, everyone enjoys their biases being confirmed. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm satisfied in that respect. Um, so thank you so much for taking the time and, uh, well, confirming my biases, at least. Unfortunately, we did find out that uh, metabolism cannot be used as an excuse. Oh, for man. Okay. Yeah, I know. Well, well, it's one study. We'll see if there's more that come out. But they had a ton of people. They had, like, I think, oh, like 5,000 oh, people that they, they actually That's they a good track. sample. Yeah, That's yeah. Sample. So we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah. It was like, well, too bad. <laughs> like, I need to come up something well, else. Well, there's now. still hope, right? There's still hope that we can. I mean, maybe that's a. You know, I've anecdotally you hear that that performance, especially in like in in non-elite athletes and like the adult onset athlete population, performance doesn't really start to decline dramatically for males, at least. From anecdotally, from what I hear, from until you're well, like well into your fifties and sixties. Um, yeah. No, it's later than most, what most mm-hmm. people. Bacon is, and it depends on the the type of. Yes, we're talking but, about like yeah, long like, long endurance performance, not certainly but, not like yeah, power yeah. sports. No, and, and yeah, that's different. Yeah, yeah, and I think if and then I think that's the other kind of thing to do is to kind of move towards more endurance sports as you get older. And I think that it also, and this comes as kind of a bit to, to gen, the sex differences is that um, I think it's just your ability to recover, and women have are just more probably sensitive to ability to recover. So moving to more endurance sports probably tends to work better for. For older men and women, but women may be a bit earlier. Interesting. Um, so, if uh, if folks want to follow follow you or follow your research, um, get in touch. What's the best way to do that? Uh, well, I'm not doing any research now. I'm mostly just uh, what's uh, basically summarizing other people's research. But yeah, so Precision Nutrition, you can find me there. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm yeah, that's about it for social media. <laughs> I was like, Fair enough. We'll we'll link to your like, PN uh, yeah. PN page so that uh, people can see what you're writing there. And listeners, as always, uh, thank you very much for tuning in and uh, spending a little bit of time with us. Hopefully, you learned something. And uh, if you did, and if you enjoyed it, tell a friend, give us a rating and a review on iTunes, and uh, also consider supporting us on Patreon. And that's at uh, as always, Patreon.com/slash Endurance Innovation. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>